1: Every one of us has been affected by COVID-19. It's one of those defining moments that we all remember where we were when we heard the announcement, either from the president or from the governor, or maybe even from a friend saying that we are in lockdown. And this new thing, this new disease called COVID-19 to us, we just didn't know what was going on. And it created a lot of fear, and rightly so. In today's episode, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to be talking to a doctor who was on the front lines of COVID-19. And so we're going to talk about a doctor's journey of hope and healing from the front lines of COVID-19 with Dr. Calvin D. Sun coming right up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today Show. My name is John Cordray, and I am a licensed therapist and the host of this show, and I want to welcome you all to the show, and glad that you're here, and I have a very special guest, Dr. D. Sun. He is based in New York City, and he is a doctor, and he worked as an emergency physician and clinical assistant professor in emergency medicine at emergency rooms all over the city during COVID-19 pandemic. Wow. He recounts the early months of COVID-19 in his upcoming book, The Monsoon Diaries, a doctor's journey of hope and healing from the ER front lines to the far reaches of the world. Dr. Sun has been a frequent guest on national and international news programs to help inform others of the pandemic situation in New York City. He brings medical knowledge and empathy to the story of COVID-19 and is no stranger to grief himself, having lost his father when he was just a teenager and his grandfather to COVID-19. Over the past 12 years, Dr. Sun has traveled to over 200 countries and territories while also completing medical school and going through medical residency. With his organization, The Monsoon Diaries, he has led other everyday travelers around the world on memorable adventures. Dr. Sun, welcome to the show.
0: It's good to be here. Thank you, John.
1: I am just really excited that you decided to come on the show because I know you're busy and uh, you have a lot going on, but I just really appreciate you taking a few minutes to come on the show.
0: Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Ah, Thank you so much.
1: Well, I want to go right into my dying question here. I'm just dying to ask it. Tell me, how did you decide to become a doctor? What is your story there?
0: The short version would be believing in accidents and (laughs) trusting the process, even if you have no idea that you're meant for the process. I did not want to become a doctor. It was something that was forced upon me that my parents, especially my father, chose for me. And to which I am grateful for them having created a structure for me, giving me an education, putting a roof over my head. So much could be said of how much they expressed their love to me in this way. But I scrappled and struggled wondering if it was something that was coming from them 100% how much of the desire to become a doctor was coming from me. And when my dad died of a sudden heart attack, when I was at the age of 19, I was just in the middle of my pre-medical studies. And I like to reframe that summer as the worst and best summer of my life. And I say that looking back as a way to heal from that actively, even going through it now, revisiting it, not re- suppressing it as an opportunity to for me to realize that I became a doctor on my own terms and not struggling, whether it was in the back of my mind coming from my father. The complicated part was that after he died, it was a summer freedom. I actually saw it as an opportunity for me to live for myself. I grieved, I still grieve to this day. My mom had been diagnosed with Parkinson's around that time as well, so I was totally alone. She was living off with her parents. so. That day, my life completely flipped over where I had a family and then I had to create my own family. And in order to heal, I sought that as an opportunity to live for myself. And I had thought that choosing not to become a doctor was the answer because then I was like, I'm happy. I am living for myself. And I was like this for the next two to three years. My studies, my grades did not fare well. It took a nosedive. It did sense at the time, happy. And that freedom and that new autonomy I never had before. And that was the only way I could heal from a trauma of a loss of a parent uh, so unexpectedly. And that's what a 19-year-old would do up to a point when I became 23, four years later, I was a happy bartender in New York doing odd jobs here and there, thinking that I was living the dream. But there was something in the back of my mind when I wasn't quite sure if my deciding not to become a doctor was in some way influenced. Still, by the specter of my father, that I was still living in the shadow, that I was committing to a life decision because of my father. And if I was truly to think for myself, then maybe I am actually meant to be a doctor. But if I then sign up for it, then maybe that's me signing up for it out of guilt. I had no idea where me began and where he began. I had no concept of identity that purely came from me that was purely unadulterated by the influence of my father or a stereotype, or an expectation by society. A lot of us struggle with not knowing whether you're supposed to do something because it's coming from you or because it's some way influenced by someone else. Do I want to be this, or do I want the want?
1: Well, I just want to interject here. You bring up something that is so critical and something that I talk a lot about with my clients, and it's about values. What do you value, not what does other people have a value for you because so often we grow up and and like you mentioned, parents can put place a, a value on us and then we feel that pressure and then we tend to confuse and it blurs. Is it my value or is it my parents' value?
0: Yeah, it conflates. I mean, your parents are very much people in your life, your guardians, your caretakers are people that you should honor and take in as part of your identity. That's no question about it but at what point do you then decide for yourself? At what point do you realize that their love language for you may not be the right one for you? Where do you begin? And my story is really for those who are struggling with not knowing and reassuring you that it is okay to not know. And sometimes the only answer is saying, doing good enough the day of, the present perfect is good enough. And and I was, I didn't know. It felt like the poison cup scene from Princess Bride, where if I decide not to become a doctor, it would be poisoned. If I decide to become a doctor, it would be poisoned. So what do you do? Just do it. That Nike slogan is a little contrived, but it really meant it where I just commit to the present because the biggest gift you can give to the future, even if you have no idea what it looks like, is investing all you can in the present. And I write a lot about this in my book, how I was able to, you know, grapple with COVID and especially a virus that we knew nothing about, not knowing if any of us were going to survive when it was so new. Now looking back, it's a different story. But at the time, it must be honored that a lot of us were going in not knowing what to do. But I was so used to having focused so much in the present that it was a day-by-day thing, one day at a time, where now it has led us to this point. A lot to unpack and unravel, but it was from my journey of deciding to become a doctor.
1: And I was just going to say, that's just amazing that there was a lot of conflict going on inside you trying to decide. And then you lost your father. So you were grieving that. And you mentioned your mom had Parkinson, So that's more grief on top of that. And then COVID hits and it creates a completely confusion and, and a lot of fear, as you mentioned. And I remember just listening to the news. And just glued to the news every night. And almost every night it was had some story of doctors and nurses in the hospitals. And they were overworked and overburdened. They were worn out. And they were on the verge of uh, burnout and breakdown. And I felt really bad. There was nothing really I could do. But I can just imagine, you know, most of us were sitting and not going to work at the time. But you and and your staff and the people you worked with, you went to work every day and you were right on the front lines. What was that like?
0: It was all that we knew how to do, that it was a habit. I think that nothing's bigger than the smallest of things. And those small things are rooted in our habits and the routines that we imbibe in ourselves and take on. And a lot of us went in because it was the only thing that we knew was possible in fighting back and returning to what we had before a pandemic. And I think it also speaks to the enormous emotional moral injury that a lot of healthcare workers had to deal with prior to the pandemic. We were already going in and overworked, understaffed in more ways than one with a healthcare industry that was bound to collapse way before a pandemic. And we still made a habit to go in and show up. Because if we didn't, then what was going to happen to the healthcare system? So we, we did our best. And when the pandemic came around, it was just a reharnessing of those small little habits that you know, we took on medical education, not knowing that it was secretly from a lot of us, destroying us little by little with this tiny traumas and moral injuries that were taken upon ourselves, but now in the context of a worldwide pandemic. We'll be
1: back after a quick break.
0: Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans. Each week, we talk about the curious things that people do. This show is for you when you're in the mood for unscripted, lighthearted conversation, personal stories, and just a smattering of psychology and information you can use. I promise we will make your day pass a little faster. And put a smile on your face. Sometimes silly, sometimes serious, but always fun. Please join us, because no matter who you are, we all smell like human. Please follow the link in the show notes.
1: Well, and I I just remember watching the news and just seeing doctors, their faces, from wearing the mask and just sobbing and just exhausted. And and then the trying to come home, a lot of times they couldn't go home because they had the quarantine. And so you mentioned the, the emotional trauma that was placed on you, the heavy burden on the healthcare system. And I just wanna thank you personally as a doctor and all the nurses and all the healthcare workers even now, we're not out of this field, right? Out of the, the COVID-19. It is still around.
0: And the world has largely moved on. We you know, have a short detention span. We have vaccines now that work. It's been three years since the first person got vaccinated, and we're all doing great. The majority of the world is vaccinated, and we're now talking about new things that affect our our world today. And we're in the still middle of a pandemic that hasn't quite completely left us. I don't think ever will. And I, I think that's an act of acceptance that the world is inherently chaotic. Life is inherently chaotic. This is not a passive resignation where, oh, we're just gonna let things be. I actively accepted this. And going back to how I decided to become a doctor was actively accepting that I will never know if i meant to become a doctor, but not doing anything, that stasis was not going to be my answer. The question was how to get myself to that point. I used travel as a as a bridge between the not knowing and then being grateful that I became a doctor because at that time, I also refused to travel. I hated the idea of it. And it wasn't until I lost the bet while bartending and finding myself in Egypt 36 hours later and still hating it, but then spending the next three weeks alone in Egypt, being dragged, kicking and screaming and not liking travel until three weeks later to then come back and say, oh, this is why people love traveling. And then starting a travel blog and the rest is history where I now run my own little travel community. It took me three weeks being dragged, kicking and screaming to like something that everyone else is born loving to do. And that made me realize, how do I know I'm not meant to be a doctor unless I do it, unless I try it? The world is chaotic. I only have this one chance. And the thought wasn't that I was going to get into medical school. The more the thought was the, the action of just doing it, applying everywhere, learning from that experience, just make that next bet the next wager that you lose to and ply everywhere with my, you know, my scores that are so bad, hoping that I would at least know that I did my best, get rejected everywhere, check that box off and then decide I did my best and, and decide that I, I'm going to become a travel blogger, knowing that at least I tried. And then that honesty and that the attitude of genuine interest, but also, the honesty of telling the people I was applying to that I wasn't sure was why I think got them interested in taking a chance on me, believing in me in a way that I didn't even see in myself. And at one school that took me, told me and confirmed that I was the imposter, but they were so curious to see if I could be a different kind of doctor, a doctor they would want to invest in, more empathetic and more a doctor that was very real with himself in the present of not being sure if they wanted to be that it was an opportunity i knew that most people would kill for and i did not want to take that for granted and i was very grateful and i went with it and i didn't give up on the traveling at the same time so i was going to juggle both feeling that the next part of the bet was i'll keep doing it until i fail out or i stop traveling and i didn't know at the time that what happened was both of them committing to both was what kept each other afloat had i stop traveling, I would have probably burnt out and quit med school. Or had I stopped medical school, I wouldn't have had the fire under my ass to keep traveling. And that's when I realized that you'll never know. And that's the joy of it. Trust the process. And if you do so, even if you don't know yourself, even if you don't know if it's going to lead anywhere, the authenticity and the investment in the present will pay its dividends in a way that you won't expect and that's more fun anyway because if someone told you all the answers right now i don't think you would have the the fire to and conviction to keep doing it uh, without the surprises that come inherently with life that makes it worth living and look forward to
1: wow i just really resonate with that and a lot of times we do not know what our future holds and we might expect, well, I, I want this to happen and, and I have this all planned out. Some people are are planners and when they try to to do what it is that they're wanting to do and planned out, it doesn't happen and then they are disenchanted. Other people are, maybe they look at opportunities that come their way and they're not sure and They question, they go back and forth, but they decide eventually, you know what? I don't know what is in store for me, but I'm going to try it. It's just one step in front of the other and just see what happens. And that's exactly the path that you just talked about.
0: Yeah, I I inherited a little bit of an anxious approach to life from my mother. She has a little bit of a general anxiety disorder. And I think I can relate to the anxiety of always needing to know But it speaks to, and this is something I figured out after the fact. It's not like I started as a teenager knowing this the whole time. But knowing that the anxiety speaks to me not realizing that I already have everything I need in the present. That I don't need anything external to define my success or define what success or fulfillment means to me. I already have all the tools. And the journey isn't to acquire something external, but to actually go within and see what you already have, but never really paid attention to. And that's not, to mean passive resignation, where you do nothing and you just focus on yourself and don't acquire anything. You do need the environments around you to reflect back onto, just like a good mirror would, that journey outside to then see what you already have inside, which is why the travels and med school and all that things were necessary in not only having me arrive, see that I've already arrived, see better than I am already needing to where I need to be, but also assuaging my anxiety and reassuring it, even if it's still present, even today, that I don't need all the answers. And the anxiety is really just my roommate in my head telling me that you need to know and me telling my roommate, no, when in my entire life that never knowing and spoiling the end of the movie was ever the right answer. <laughs> but you got to keep telling that roommate that.
1: I like that. The roommate. Yeah, uh, that's good. Roommate you uh,
0: can't evict. Yeah, that's right.
1: Out. That's right. That's right. I, I often refer to that roommate as an inner critic, and so often it is critical. So that's great. So I I, I want to talk a little bit about some of your experiences of, in working on the front lines of COVID-19. Can you tell us a little bit, what was that like? I mean, m- most of us have no idea other than watching on the news. You were there on the front lines and helping people. What was it like, especially towards the beginning of that? Because you, you mentioned that being unsure and having some anxiety. I can't imagine the
0: anxiety that you were experiencing at that time. Anxiety is a great transition because it was purely the anxiety of the unknown. Not only the, the what of it all, what kind of virus this was. It was also the who, which one of us were going to get it. And which one is going to survive it? Especially something that was so unknown with no prior vaccines to prevent it or any treatments known to take care of it. There were all these theoretical treatments, but who knew that what the dosages were without a clinical trial to support it? This is completely new. We were fighting a completely new enemy. And there's also the other parameters of when, how long was this going to last? And not only that, my healing, my way of preventing burnout and more injury like I traveled so that I wouldn't burn out and and endure more injury was now denied to me and I had no outlet I knew going in that I would lose my outlet for my recharge to fill my cup and I knew that I was going to go in pouring on it uh, from an empty cup running on battery acid and still going in not knowing where it was going to lead I already been comfortable with the discomfort. I've spent my entire life chasing this idea and being comfortable with the unknown, and knowing that I have what in I had it in me to eventually overcome it. But this time, it was a completely overwhelming en- enemy that I think all of us collectively had to grapple with. So there was a personal journey of mind I had up until the pandemic, and then the pandemic was something that all of us shared as a collective grief, and we had already known that we were gonna go in, but we didn't know how long uh, and how many of us were gonna come out.
1: And then you had lost your grandfather to
0: COVID-19. Yeah, that was something that I couldn't quite understand. And it was also a guilt in me in that, how could I not expect it to happen? He lived in Elmhurst. In the ground zero of the ground zero of the pandemic, the epicenter of all epicenters. And up until this time, he, I mean, he was doing okay. All of March and half of April had passed and I still haven't gotten COVID and no one I knew in my immediate family members had gotten sick from it. I've lost a few colleagues and nurses, but this whole time I thought at that point in April, about six weeks into this pandemic on the first wave, you've survived that long, you start to create this dangerous little thing called hope. Hope is a lovely thing and it also hurts. And just when you thought that you were making it into the clear and the lockdown, would, if the effects of a lockdown was finally taking effect and rates were dropping and you knew that you could probably, you know, take your first breath of fresh air and that there was a little dim light at the end of the tunnel for something that only six weeks earlier, you had no idea if there would ever be such a light or you would ever live long enough to see such a light then you lose a loved one and a family member. Uh, and I lost my grandfather right around uh, midway th- into end of April. He was first hospitalized by mid April and then he died by the end of it. And when the news uh, arrived at my doorsteps, when I heard from the medical team that took care of him, who actually had worked with in the past, it even made it more upfront for me that, and confirmed for me that life is inherently full of suffering and I'm no stranger to it. And it's not going to be any easier, even if I've been through this over and over and over again. And it's sort a of served a reminder to me that no matter how good you think things are going for you and you think that you're going to be immune from this because of some sheer luck and chance, you are still powerless and meaningless in the whole scheme of how chaotic a pandemic can be, uh, especially with all our technology in the year 2020 and Developed country like the United States of America. But the fact that I also saw that we kept going in work and a lot of us lost loved, lost loved ones and we still did our best to fight this pandemic to create meaning within that meaninglessness does honor to the people that we've lost and to not give up. So that's how I over, or still am overcoming that loss. Mm.
1: I think when you, when you attach meaning to it like that, I, I think it, it, it creates the why. And it also lets people know the endurance
0: that comes with it. It's a choice. It has to be, yes. You can choose to assign meaning for it. Even you could be, to- all of us could be totally wrong. And we're just an accidental conglomeration of space dust. Or you can choose to believe that there is some divine meaning behind it all. And it doesn't hurt anyone. You could choose to see this as all the as comedy of errors. Or you can choose to assign meaning. Or you can see both. That there is meaning in the comedy of errors of divine luck. You can combine all of that. And that's the beauty. that That's within our grasp to put a frame in this chaotic world. No matter how bad things are, you can choose to narrate with your own story to be able to deal with it and to get by to the next day and that's way better than suppressing and ignoring what's going on you're creating a narrative and you're creating a story out of it and you know if you write it down and look back on it you'll realize what how much you've overcome by choosing to do and invest 100 percent in the present moment and honoring it no matter how hard it is
1: yeah exactly and i think that is a great lesson for all of us you know everybody goes through hardships and grief, and sorrow, and uncertainty. And we all have a choice, just like you mentioned. And that choice can either propel us to to keep walking and keep moving one foot in front of the other, or we could choose to not pursue the right path or pursue getting better in our grief. And the grief can get the best of us. And what you're mentioning is no matter what we go through, it's important to really remember that you, you can assign meaning to even even hardships that you're facing. And that meaning can can be your purpose. And you may not know why it's happening or why you're going through what you're going through, but you, you can say, I'm going through something very difficult. Therefore, I'm going to, to do the best that I can to get up every morning and work and, and and go to work or talk to people when I don't want to. And I'm going to assign meeting in the day. You might not be able to assign meaning to your life at that moment, but you can certainly can do it in the day.
0: Yeah. That's what I mean by active acceptance instead of passive resignation. You can choose not to get out of bed. You know, I don't want to go to work and deal with these people. I'm going to call out. The fact is that you made a choice creates that autonomy, and now you're in control of that chaos. The whole world and the universe is chaotic. I'm not saying do things against your will all the time, that you run out of spoons and you can't even get up from bed and you run on empty uh, and you can't pour from an empty cup. I, I don't mean that. I mean that every decision needs to be conscious and have meaning behind it. And even if the decision is to say no, to establish your boundaries. But you know only you can decide that and only you can make, do the work on knowing yourself and what is not and what is it and oh it's okay to make mistakes mm. because there's no such thing as mistakes just lessons in learning more about yourself and have a good laugh and every new day is an opportunity every dusk and every sun that rises reminds us that's an opportunity to try again to make another choice that may be different or repeat it and that's the fun part of life is that it, it bears many surprises in different contexts
1: well, I think that's fantastic. And it's a great reminder. And I would imagine you probably talk a lot about
0: this in your, your book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. From from the third person point of view, I think since we were talking about COVID, yes, there are themes to which uh, a lot of it does deal with COVID and my experiences. I do want people to see this not as a COVID book, but rather COVID is the background, character and vehicle in which we deliver a message of resilience and how I tackled grief at a young age, but if people want to see firsthand what happened on the front lines, it can be interpreted as such. It's really, COVID is an event that happened to us. And I think there's a big disconnect between what people think what happened and what really happened in that first wave when it hit our city. And when I put my experiences on paper in this book, I hope it, for those who are curious what happened, can bridge that disconnect so they can better understand and hopefully if you were there, reconcile such an unprecedented event that affected all of us. I think that's one way to overcome something that seems so intimidating and daunting when you get to know your enemy, when you get to know something that's so foreign and having more familiarity with it. And this book does go into a lot of detail day by day of what we went through. But if you want to read between the lines, literally and figuratively, I also touch upon my experiences with losing my father. I interconnected in a very creative way of constructing this narrative so that people see that COVID is just one of those things that I want us to relate to because it's something that affected all of us as a way we see how things had happened to us in our past. And these events like COVID, like a pandemic, like a loss of a loved one, like a breakup, like a loss of a job, these are all discrete events that feel daunting and intimidating because one, we don't know, we didn't expect it, we didn't see it coming. Number two, we don't know enough about it because it's so new, which hope this book deals with if it's particularly to a pandemic. And number three, that it will probably stay with us for the rest of our lives. We can't erase those memories because they're so profound and negative and we feel like it defines us. But what I found while writing this book and still going through uh, the pandemic was that even though those things may never change, our attitudes to those discrete events can change. And it's the way we change our attitudes towards events that define who we really are. It's like a roller coaster. You can either f- like get scared about a roller coaster and it's going to hurt me and it's going to make me feel sick and stick to that or actually just get on the damn thing and enjoy it. You don't need to know how many turns there are or there are three loops or you went or you look back and you went to five loops and you're still alive and you vomited once and miss the camera. Like who needs to know that? Just focus on the present and realize your emotions are changing during this whole roller coaster and the best thing is to be as present as possible without having to know what you went through and what looks ahead, knowing that you did experience that and what better way than being hundred percent present for that roller coaster as it's unwinding. Mm. I love it.
1: So, uh, remind us the the name, the title of the book.
0: The Monsoon Diaries is the title of the book, and it is the the subtitle. It's a little long. It's a, I just just know it's the Monsoon Diaries: A Doctor's Journey of Hope and Healing from the ER Front Lines to the Far Reaches of the World. It is a memoir. Just make sure it's the one with uh, the author's name is mine, Calvin D. Sun, and uh, I'm also blessed to have a forward written by. Uh, veteran journalist on CNN, uh, Lisa Ling. And I think both of us want to honor what happened to all of us, and it's still happening to all of us, but also see that this is pertinent to all the things that had happened to us in our past, even before a pandemic. And not to lose hope, but rather to see how these events are not just things to ignore or overcome, or repress, but rather see it as an opportunity to reframe and reexamine our lives with more clarity and purpose and i think that's what we're doing here today as we emerge from something that affected all of us
1: absolutely so the monsoon diaries go look for it on amazon uh, again it's dr calvin D. sun is the author and uh, before i let you go uh, dr sun it's something i like to ask all of my guests uh, i talk a lot about self-care and uh, the importance of of doing things just for us and i'm curious what are some things that you would say that you do for self-care
0: number one since we're talking about book is writing every day and that's something i don't do as much as i should but during the pandemic uh, from my practice of writing every day as a travel blogger since i started traveling from medical school up until today once we couldn't stop traveling i just converted my discipline in writing every day while I'm on my travels, to writing every day during a pandemic as if it was a new experience like a trip. Definitely not as fun, a lot more traumatic and negative, but writing and honoring the present was therapeutic to the point where now it has accidentally turned into this book being published by Harper, where you now can read through it as if with me looking back as if you were the fly on the wall with me during the pandemic's first wave or on my travels that I allude to in other passages of the book that are non-COVID or when my father passed. And the other thing is travel. Traveling is a physical way of removing yourself from everything back at home that is distracting you and all the noise, stepping away from the painting where you're looking up, uh, looking up close with all the bar strokes and the details of it all. Traveling is physically taking you away to a place where you don't know anyone, nobody knows you, you don't speak the language, you can't even understand anything on the signs, and the only person you can commune with is yourself. And you learn how to become your own best friend while seeing the painting from far away, and seeing how beautiful it is, and being able to return back a lot more recharge and refresh, also relying upon yourself that you were able to go on this adventure and experience, seeing the painting from afar for what it is, but also getting to see yourself better as the person you really are, undistracted by all the things back home, where you're able to talk to other people and get to know everyone. When you're truly alone in a foreign place, you're also truly embracing freedom in both an uncomfortable and comfortable way. But the whole point is to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, the act of acceptance.
1: Ooh, I love that. That is so, so good. So I have to ask, you've done a lot of traveling. You have any favorite places that you go?
0: I would say it depends on what my mood is, but I always <laughs> try to choose some place I've never been to before. Oh. Because it is an example every new place I haven't been is an example of a different environment that can shed a different reflection upon me i see every destination as an opportunity and a different kind of lens and just as we you know walk into a fun house with different mirrors we see each other in different ways that's still you the reflection you see yourself how you understand the person that you are behind all the crazy roommates in your head and your inner critic and all that there's a you behind all that that's also defined by all the mirrors around you, your friends, loved ones, or even strangers in different places and how they reflect that energy back onto you. That adds up all to a better understanding. And my favorite place has always been the place I haven't been to yet. But if you ask me, I'm also... Believing that there's an, it should be an exception to every rule as a born rebel. So the country I find myself going back to over and over and over and over and over again is all the countries in South Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, that area. I just somehow always just either transit through and always giving myself an, an excuse to spend a few days there before going to the next thing. But the most magical New Zealand, the most underrated Slovenia, the most fun with Cuba. Uh, the, the 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 best food, Spain, Japan, Iran, uh, the most convenient for a first time traveler, and just like you have to know how to stress, but is foreign enough that gives you a sense of adventure. would Be Japan. I mean, I have a list of superlatives that can go on and on <laughs> and on. And you tell me what you're going through, and I'll prescribe you. Uh, I don't have you don't health insurance says I have to cover it. Travel insurance does, uh, and I'll prescribe <laughs> you where you you can go, or you can come on one of my trips. A lot of people do that and go on my ventures, uh, they just sign up, follow me like Forrest Gump. I was going to go anyway on my own, <laughs> but people have now come along, and I'm happy to have people on the ride because happiness is best
1: shared. Oh, I love it. Oh, now I'm really, really interested in going overseas. I, I, I love to travel myself. Please come.
0: Every, everyone's right. invited.
1: Nice. Uh, so I wanted to mention, uh, Dr. Sun, that I, I'm going to put all the information for your book and if you we can put your blog uh, info on there as well and travel info on the on the show notes. And uh, just want to mention that if you're listening to this, just know that you can go to mental dot com and you can look at the notes right there. You just look up this episode and uh, you'll be able to get all of that right there. Well, uh, D- Dr. Sun, thank you so much for coming on the show and for taking time out of your busy schedule it was just a a real delight to talk with you. And and I
0: just appreciate your heart uh, and and what you had to share. No trouble at all. I I was looking forward to this all day. So if anything, this is the highlight. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, I want to thank all of you as well for listening. And I know a lot of you are struggling with various things. And some of you might be at a crossroads as Dr. Sun had talked about in his life and take his advice, heed his advice and embrace the unknown. And it's not a bad thing and try to move forward one step at a time. And who knows you might be traveling the world too. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. And just remember to continue to work on your mental health and remember, the Mental Health Today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care, my friends. Bye-bye.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.